Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something else. Hello and welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple, the podcast all about words and language and just general meanderings through English, really, with me, Susie Dent, and the person at the top of my screen in a tiny little Zoom square, Giles Brandreth. Hello. I'm excited to be here. I really am. It's lovely to be with you because what we do here is we talk all about words and I discovered a new word today, uh-huh. Salmagundi. <gasps> Are you familiar with this word, salmagundi? Yes, but I can't remember what it means. It's like, it it means like it's in a dish. It's an Indian dish. Lots of meats and fruit and vegetables. So somebody said to me, oh, your Oxford book of theatrical anecdotes, it's a salmagundi of great stories. And I thought, "Mm, is that a compliment or not? It's the new smorgasbord. The new smorgasbord with a touch of diversity. So I like Excellent. it. And I'm going to be putting it into my language. Salma Gundi. I like it too. So it's good. And congratulations on the book, by the way. Mine arrived, for which thank you very much, a couple of days ago. Um, so I'm really looking oh, forward good. To, to delving into wonderful theatrical anecdotes. We must talk about theatre again sometime. So I'm, I'm feeling very, very jolly. Isn't it strange how one... I had a wonderful review in the Daily Mail last Friday Mm -hmm. that said, you know, this is the perfect book for any theatre-loving person at Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. And I always say, oh, ignore all the reviews, ignore them. (laughs) And yet when you get a nice review, I've been dancing around... Oh, aren't human beings strange? I know. Well, I'm t- completely, completely dreading any reviews of my book, obviously, after the, the sort of fiasco that I had. It is now reprinted, I'm glad to say, but I feel really, really nervous about it now. This is just there's a trail of anxiety that follow, <laughs> follows this book for me. I can share one bit of good news okay. with you. Uh, they call it log rolling. People basically who review books are basically reviewing the books of their friends. I have for the Daily Mail chosen as my book of the year, your book, no. Word Perfect. Yes, but not just because you are my friend. I would certainly have given it a plug, a mention, but because I genuinely have read it and loved it. It's got a different word for every day of the year, and they're linked to the days of the year. It's fantastic. So if you enjoy this podcast, you will love Susie's book. I say that without question. That's the thing I'm most, most anxious about is people saying after all this fuss, you know, it's terrible. That, yes, gives me nightmares, to be honest. It gives me Matuto Lipia. Do you remember that? The grief of the dawn. I have that. Because of this ongoing, this sort of the little mini lockdowns that have been happening mm. again, I think everyone is getting anxious all mm. over again. And, but I'm now having headaches. I'm waking up with little sort of starbursts oh. in my head, like, like little yeah. migraines. I used to have migraines and didn't have them. 
and I'm now getting headaches. Yes. Anyway, but I'm only getting, funnily enough, I'm only getting them when I'm idle. Mm. I'm not getting them when I'm busy. And I want to be busy with you for the next half hour or so. You are never idle anyway. No, because at school, the reason I'm never idle is that Mr. Stocks, nicknamed Bocky, the headmaster of my prep school, said, a busy boy is a happy boy. Always be busy boy. And I was seven or eight or nine when he said this to me, and I've never forgotten it. And so I like to be a busy boy. But he was called Bocky. That was his nickname. And I thought maybe today we could talk about schoolboy, schoolgirl slang. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to have been to a good school, it was a co-educational boarding school. It's what, in Britain, we still call a public school. Many of our listeners are around the world, particularly in America, where a public school is a school that's paid for by the public, whereas in this country, a public school is actually paid for privately. Can you explain to me the difference between public school UK, public school US, why the name is the same, but what they do is different. Well, as so often, I think the Americans get it right here. At least it's far more transparent with the American usage because a public school is exactly that. It's the American equivalent of the British state school. So it is a school that is uh, designated uh, free. In fact, they were called free schools for a while. You know, free for the community of a defined district. So very much like the state schools that we have here. And the public school, that name really emerged from the fact that these were schools that were former, they were grammar schools, but they were endowed. So they were intended for public use and they were subject to public management and and control, etc. And they were contrasted with private school, but they had developed most of them from former endowed grammar schools. And that was the kind of road that it decided to take. So the government kind of extended these public schools and applied them, essentially applied the name to ancient endowed grammar schools, Eton, Winchester, Westminster, Harrow, Rugby, Charterhouse, Shrewsbury, etc. And those have often been called the seven public schools, although of course there are more, because you went to BDARS, didn't you? I went to a co-educational boarding school that was a private school, a little bit in the tradition of the old public schools, but it was different and controversial because it was co-educational mm. almost from the beginning. It was founded in the 1890s and it had very funny traditions in the early days. Though it was public school, the ethos was Christian socialist with a touch of vegetarianism and outward boundness to it. And the, the the look of the school, the feel of the school, was very much William Morris, John mm. Ruskin, arts and crafts. They did, and I think almost until the Second World War, for example, as well as having naked bathing, because we've got to be free and natural and un- feel uncomplicated about our bodies, after breakfast, the headmaster, who was known as the chief, would take everybody, the whole school, out to a big field beyond the school grounds, everyone would squat down to open their bowels. Seriously? Um, yes. How bizarre. Yeah. And, then, and then what happened to the field afterwards? You just didn't go near it for weeks. <laughs> oh, no. Is that a different think, field every yeah. time? <laughs> no, I think that enriched... <laughs> oh, the soil, human the quality. compost. Yeah, human <laughs> compost. Nothing nicer uh, for your mushrooms and your sprouts. <laughs> I really wish you hadn't told me that. So I come, I mean, obviously, I went first of all, uh, an interesting education, I went first to the French Lycée in London, which is a a French school and it was a bit of fee-paying school. Then I went to a a prep school, 
That's short for preparatory. Yes. And I think the idea of those is it's preparing you for the public school. Exactly. And then instead of going to a public school like Eton or Winchester or St Paul's, had I been able to get in, mm. uh, they sent me to this place called Beedales. And you boarded. I bought. I loved boarding. I yeah. was a very happy boarder. I know not everybody was. At my no. prep school, I can still remember, I can still hear Bowden, um, mm. who was six, seven years old now, being his... He cried himself to sleep I can't, every night. You know, it does seem incredibly barbaric to me to send a child so young away from yeah. home. For all we know, his parents were, you know, uh, in Africa or India working sure. or they were in the armed forces. Yeah. You know, one doesn't know the circumstances. And a lot of these schools, I think, were for people who'd been in the forces. Mm-hmm. Wellington was a school for soldiers, wasn't it? It for was. For the children of soldiers. In yes. F- founded by the Duke of Wellington. So that's the British public school. The American public school is the free-to-all school. Yes. Do we know if there are other countries that have other school systems? I'm, sure, are I'm sure there are different systems across the globe. And whether or not they kind of mix the public and the state, um, I don't know. I think that might be peculiar to, to Britain, that idea of a public school being so very not public, considering the fees that they charge. But you, you mentioned that you called your headmaster the chief did you have any names for your teachers? Because I think I mentioned very briefly that I went to a convent. That was by far and away my main um, education. But then because I wanted to sit the exams for Oxford and Cambridge, my school didn't cater for that. So all the local schools, were all the people who wanted to apply for Oxford, were kind of gathered up and then sent to Eton, which was a utterly terrifying moment, especially if you were a girl, because this is a, a, a boys' school in Eton near Windsor. And you are contemporary, I would say this for international listeners, of the present Prime Minister, Boris. So it was terrifying. You were there 16, 17 years of age, turning up to do your A-levels, and there was oh, Boris at his priapic best. Well, I, well, I have no idea about the priapism because, yes, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really, <laughs> didn't really know him. I was very shrinking. I, I think I also mentioned that I used to stuff minstrels, which are these kind of chocolate treats, into my stomach before any lesson because my stomach would growl so loudly and it was the most incredibly embarrassing moment. So, it, yeah, it was, it was a strange time, but I have to say the teaching, as you would expect, was incredible. But they called their teachers beaks, which was quite a specific term. I think it's specific. Now, wh- where does that come from? Because I think that happens in other public schools as well. Teachers mm. are called beaks. Yes. What is the origin of that? Well, I honestly don't know. I have looked this up a little bit. There's all sorts of definitions in the dictionary, but it, it seems to be the person who was high up in the pecking order. And I don't know if that's an extension of the of the metaphor uh, there. Yeah, it's funny. It reminded me of the, this is completely going off the point, but reminded me of the, the word rostrum from Latin, which was where orators, Roman orators would, um, you know, celebrate victories, etc., and speak to the crowds. And the rostrum, rostrum is Latin for beak, because these rostra, these, you know, stands, if you like, where they, where they orated, were decorated with the beaks or the noses, the prows of the ships that they had conquered. This has nothing to do with school whatsoever, but I just thought I'd throw that in. Well, I don't know. Maybe it does. Hmm. Maybe rostrum, the people on the person on the rostrum is yeah, a beak. The chief. And the beaks, I don't know, rostrum at the front of the class. Hmm. If people know, they can let us know. But one of the essences of a school is it's a closed community. Yeah. And within closed communities, we tend to get slang, don't yeah. we? Tribal slang, definitely. In Westminster, your home clothes were called your shag. I think every, every school probably had home clothes day or mufti day or whatever, if you you know, if you had to wear a uniform. And then 
I think in Winchester, slang was called notions. So they even had a term for their own kind of lexicon, which, which was amazing. And a bob was a beer jug. And at Eton, a wet bob was somebody who rode. So I remember that. And I think a dry bob was somebody who played cricket. And a slack bob was somebody who didn't either. <laughs> um, so I, it's, it's, and lessons were called divs as well, I guess, because the day was divided up into things. What kind of slang did you have? At my school, I don't know. Well, there must have been slang. Yes, they, of course there was. For example, the dormitories were all called flat. Ah. But it is. It's a language to keep the rest of the world at bay, isn't it? Yes. The reason we're talking about this is the other day I referred to somebody being a good egg. Oh, yeah. And I wondered what the origin of that was. I wondered if it had been a phrase invented by P.G. Woodhouse. And you looked it up and you said it dated from 19th century public school lingo. Mm. Are there lots of words that have spread out into the language from that world? Well... I think I also mentioned cool and how cool actually predated the jazz era in America of the 1930s and 40s, which is where it really became popularised and you were um, hep and you were cool. But actually there are, there's evidence of cool being used as an adjective of approval from the late 19th century in English public schools. And there, you know, toff as well. Toff is another one that came from public schools and a toff oh. was originally referring to the tufts or the gold tassels that used to hang off the gowns of the scholars at Oxford and Cambridge. But the outside, the commoners, were called snobs, weirdly. And snob at that time was a term for a cobbler. So if you were considered quite common, like a cobbler was considered to be, then you were simply a snob. And then eventually it was applied to someone who wanted to be like the toffs and who aspired to kind of social climbing. Because that is amazing, because yeah. I always assumed that Toff was short for toffee, as in toffee-nosed. Ah. Somebody who had a, a nose like a toffee that was stuck up. Yes. You were a toff, and you considered yourself rather special and toffee-nosed. But in fact, it's to do with the tufts. If you yes. picture a mortarboard, on the mortarboard are uh, tassels. Yes. And on, as it were, a, a distinguished mortarboard, I'm lucky enough to be the Chancellor of the University of Chester. I have a wonderful oh, yeah. a gown that I wear and a mortarboard that has a gold... Gold tassel. Ah, on it. you know, I'm just looking up toffee at the moment because I thought that toffee nosed might be an extension of the, you know, of the tuft. But I think you're absolutely right. First recorded in 1925 as a soldier and sailor word. Toffee nose stuck up, and I think you're right. I think the idea is the stickiness. But uh, yes, yeah, so the tuft. The going back to the tufts, the gold tufts. I think they hung down from the gowns as well. I think their gowns were decorated and embellished with gold, and from there it, it was quite possibly extended to mortarboards and things. I remember at Oxford they had, um, if you were a scholar, you had quite a beautiful flowing gown that was known as subfusk, which means beneath the darkness. And they are very, very black and quite scary. You look a little bit like Batman or someone from Harry Potter. And then if you were what was called a commoner, which is, I think, terrible that we still preserve that word, you just had basically this black strip that just kind of hung out behind you. So, you know, that that sort of distinction is preserved quite quite severely, I would say, still. I wonder if it still goes on, because I was lucky enough to be a scholar. Mm. Don't ask me why. I was. And I loved it. I loved the bigger gown, the fuller gown. I loved gown, the bigger the... gown, too. I, I was like you. I think I got what's called an exhibition at Oxford. Oh, yes. It was worth something like £40 a year. <laughs> so not, not a lot, a lot. But the gown, you're right, was everything. And when I wanted to change subject, they said, yes, you can change subject, but you'll then become a commoner. Oh. So, no, 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 thank you very much. <laughs> I shall stay. I shall struggle on with this subject. I'm not going to lose the that gown. The gown meant that much to you. Oh, funny. I've still got my gown upstairs. 
I've still got mine upstairs. Have I haven't worn it. It's, it's good it's for Halloween. One, I wear it every Halloween. <laughs> oh, do you? Yes. It's the one bit of clothing I've got from when I was 18 that I could probably still get into. <laughs> now, I'll tell you what I do remember hmm. from school scan slang. I remember that we called slackers, people who didn't work very much, we called them slackers. Yeah. And people who didn't turn up for class, we called them, we said they were skiving. Yes. Now, what's the origin of skiving? Well, we think, I mean, it's so hard to pin this down and as it's slang, it's very difficult, but we think it either comes back to a dialect word meaning to move very quickly, which is, of course, what you do if you're skiving off, or more likely from the French esquiver, which meant to dodge or to slink away. So I think that seems to be the most likely. We used to call it bunking off, uh, and that's Lincolnshire dialect, but where that comes from, we're not completely sure. Playing hooky? Oh, yes, yeah. I don't think I used the phrase, but I know what you mean. What's the origin of playing hooky? Oh, well, that's simply from Dutch, apparently. Hookje. Hookje spielen uh, or spielen in Dutch, which is to play hide and seek, which is quite a nice little extension. If you're playing hide and seek, you're actually bunking off school. But I would lo- I'd love to hear from purple listeners, actually, what they called skiving, because I think there's so many dialectal variants within there. We haven't even talked about the origin of school, which is quite interesting. And uh, if I ever speak to kids, they love this one, or at least they find it heavily ironic that school is actually from the greek for leisure because leisure actually included learning learning was thought to be a real form of relaxation and improving the mind and the body was seen as really important pastimes there were various schools of philosophy as you probably know and we they gave us many many words in english so the original cynics were members of a school of ancient Greek philosophers and they took their word from, I think it was Kuno Sages, I'm sure my pronunciation is terrible, but that was the name of the school where they used to meet. And peripatetic comes from Aristotle because apparently as he taught in the peripatetic school, he would walk up and down and up and down. That's where we get our modern meaning because he liked to, to teach as he walked. So Aristotle, because he walked about while teaching, gives us the word peripatetic Peripatetic. because he taught in a peripatetic school. I mean, his philosophy was peripatetic. Yes. If you were peripatetic, you were an Aristotelian philosopher, essentially. Yeah, it was all down to the fact that he loved to walk around. Did your teachers walk around or they stand in one place? No, my school really suited me, in fact, but didn't suit anybody who was remotely cool because I really liked quiet. I grew up in a quite a quiet house without any boys, so it was not remotely boisterous. It was just quite reflective. And so that's what I wanted from school. I felt quite anxious if there was a lot of bluster and noise going on around me. And my school suited me perfectly because it was very, very much sit down, focus and work. This is the convent school? Yes, it was very, very structured. Were you taught by nuns, by sisters? Yes, I was taught both by nuns and lay people. You say there were no boys in your family, so it wasn't so boisterous. Mm. Is the word boisterous related to boys in any way? Oh, good point. Um, No, that's a really interesting one, actually, because sometimes people say that garrulous goes back to the word girl because girls stereotypically talk a lot. So I'm going to look this one up because the honest truth is no one has ever asked me that before. And I don't know. Oh, obscure. Maybe that's why I don't know. Don't know obscure. It. We hate it when they don't know the answer, <laughs> the dictionary. Yes. If you think you do know the answer, let us know. Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, it may be rather like garrulous being connected with girls, boisterous being connected with boys. It's too good to be true. Yes. It says, of uncertain etymology, not connected with boast. And it originally, actually, this is going back to the 14th century, meant rude, rough, rustic, unpolished. So again, slightly classist uh, in its yeah. beginnings. So there you go. So 
The school, the word school, in a nutshell, give me the origin of that. Yeah, so that's, that goes back to the Greek for, uh, for leisure. A pedant, the first meaning of a pedant was a schoolmaster in Latin. So the very first schoolmasters were thought, obviously, to be quite nitpicky. Um, so in the 16th century, that's what it meant in English as well. A pedant was a teacher or a schoolmaster. And pedagogy, is that how you pronounce it, or pedagogy? That is the sort of art of teaching, is it? That is the art of teaching. And uh, is a pedagogue and a pedant anything to do with each other as words? Um, well, yes, because you've got the whole, um, the, you've got the root from Greek and then via Latin of teaching. It's also linked to the to pedo, I'm afraid, uh, which was a boy or a child, because um, essentially they used to mostly fix on the on the boys as the um, recipients of education. And a pedagogue, the first meaning of that was a schoolmaster. And also quite often a slave who in Roman times would take the children to and from school. Tell me about gymnasium. I, I oh, yeah. didn't like PE, games, Did you sport. Not? I didn't like PE, short for physical education, mm. sometimes called PT, or sometimes called gym, which is an abbreviation of gymnasium, isn't it? Yes. Now, why do I have this faint memory that... Gymnasium means something naked. Yes, I think we talked about this, probably. Uh, that's why it's one of my favourite etymologies. At least, again, kids love this one if you tell them this one. Yes, it goes back to the Greek, a Greek verb meaning to exercise naked. Uh, Gymnasine. And essentially that meant if you had an incredibly buff body, which was incredibly important, and it was proof of so much more than kind of virility. It was it was the be-all and end-all quite often for, for Greek men and then later Roman men. And consequently, they would train in the buff to show off these rippling muscles of theirs. They would also collect and gather in the gymnasia. And in those gymnasia, I have to say, they learned all sorts of other things as well. Um, oh, really? You know, academic stuff. Too. Oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> when you were saying, <laughs> well, well, sure. they learned, I thought, my, they're learning in the new, they learned all sorts of other stuff <laughs> I'm as sure well. they did that oh, too. My goodness. I think we should take a break because I know your shopping is about to arrive and getting <laughs> these getting these slots nowadays is very difficult. And then I want to talk about schoolboys' slang that I was brought up on from the dandy, the Beano. Mm. Yaroo! Yikes! Oh, crikey! That sort of thing. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Also from something else. Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Join Katie for a series of powerful and inspirational conversations with people who have triumphed over adversity. With guests including Fern Cotton, 
And what about when you get really lazy journalism? So like people that draw just one line, they take it out of context. And that's really sad because... It is, it is. And I've also been on the receiving end of it so, Mm. so many times. Sometimes to really tragic levels for me where I've really not felt able to cope with it. Yeah. Zoe Sugg and Nadia Hussein. I think the the thing with women, firstly, is that women sometimes don't always like to see other women succeed. Mm -hmm. I I I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, and and I think there's a lot of that, and I think that's why just... It's really hard sometimes, because in the last four years, I've changed so much. Mm. Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. Oh, crikey! Yikes! Yaroo! I, as a child, loved a television series about the adventures of Billy Bunter of Greyfriars School. Mm. This was a series of comics that had begun at the beginning of the 20th century, written by a man called Frank Richards, the most prolific writer in the history, apparently, of the world. Nobody wrote more words than he. Mm. And he created a whole series of schools, of which the most famous was Greyfriars School, where his... Original heroes were people like Bob Cherry and Harry Wharton. But he had a fat schoolboy called Billy Bunter, who became, like Falstaff in the Shakespeare history plays, he overwhelmed the drama and he became the hero. And he would say things like, oh, oh, crikey, oh, um, he would talk like that. Yaroo! I've not heard Yaroo. Okay. Yaroo! Yes, there was a lot. Whenever he was beaten on the backside, and he was often beaten, he was beaten by the masters because he was a naughty schoolboy. Oh, that's my shopping, Giles. Oh, there's your shopping. She's gone to collect her shopping, which leaves me to sit here with you and share with you my reminiscences of Billy Bunter of Greyfriars School. These books, the stories, the original stories, appeared in comics like The Magnet and The Gem from about 1900 onwards, up until the 1930s. Oh, I can't see Pipe down, please. I'm trying to tell people in podcast world about Frank Richards, the most prolific writer ever. His one weakness in life, he had a fondness for gambling. And though he earned a lot of money, he... um, spent most of it gambling. And he had to sell his rights in the Billy Bunter characters, which he did. And as a consequence, he then wrote a series of books featuring Billy Bunter and Greyfriars School and went on doing that until he died in about 1960. Um, and You're still I, going? I, of course I'm still going. Did you hear as that you conversation? Know, well, I tried not to. I tried to talk <laughs> over it. While you were away, yes. I was giving people a few details about Frank Richards, Mm. the creator of Billy Bunter and the world of Greyfriars School. He's now long since forgotten, but people of my vintage remember him with affection, both from the original stories and from the comic strip that existed of him in the 1950s and from the TV series that ran hugely successfully from about 1950 to about 1960, starring somebody called Gerald Campion. And there was a world of language that Billy Bunter used. Yeah. But mustn't talk too much about that because it's gone. It's over. Mm. Let's talk about more contemporary stuff. The Bash Street Kids, Grange Hill, St Trinian's, Mallory Towers, <gasps> Hogwarts. Hogwarts, what, yeah. Did you have favourite schools when you were Well, I loved Enid Blyton. I loved Mallory Towers and all of that. But Enid Blyton was banned from my school and I think many others because she was said to encourage poor quality of writing, which I think is probably quite unfair. But it was said to be sort of uh, quite 
you know, easygoing. I guess it was thought to be quite casual, but then, you know, looking back, it was completely appropriate for the a group of school kids. So I was obsessed with Ina Blyson and there was a bit of a black market going on um, in her books. So that was quite interesting. And if you'll remember, much to my horror, but then to my delight later, I was appointed chief librarian <laughs> at school when I really wanted to be a sports captain or whatever, but that was what I got. And it also meant I got first dibs on the Ina Blyton books that were hurried away and and quickly hidden. First dibs, first bag. dibs. What's the origin of first oh, dibs? Dibs, dibs, yeah. Oh, also, there is, what What did you say? Well, I looked that up. What did you say if you were playing a game and nowadays kids would say safe. So if they are, yeah, oh, if they get home, I, if they reach home or if they want to say truce. I think we may have said it. You would say it if you were playing chase though, wouldn't you? You're it, I'm it. But yes. if you're safe, what would you say? Home. I think you would say home. I'd say home. Because um, for things like truce or whatever, I used to say pax, which is very posh, which was Latin. Oh, means peace. peace. Yes. But there's all wow. sorts of things up and down the country like phainites and very strange expressions that we really can't get to the bottom of. But again, much as I often say, regional dialect really collects around certain themes and playground slang. In fact, we should do, we've talked about this before, we should do a whole pod on the language of the playground inspired by the Opies. Do you remember we talked about Iona Opie? Indeed, we must Peter do and that. Iona Opie, yes. Um, Tell me about first dibs. Dibs, then... yes. So a dib was a pebble in a children's game. Ah, it's a variation of dab, which is if you dab something, you don't just apply it with light, quick strokes, but you also, in dialect terms, you grab it. And also your dabs are your fingerprints. So the idea is you will get your hands on it. First dibs is I'll get my hands on it first. Very good. Now, Mallory Towers, Mm. one of the schools created by Enid Blyton, I think you're right. She was accessible. She was easy to read. We loved her. She was and remains the best-selling children's author in the history of the world. Seriously, so more, still? Yes, wow. still. More than J.K. Rowling, wow. more than Roald Dahl, Enid Blyton. It's partly because she wrote so much over such a long period yeah. and created these amusing characters. Noddy, as you can imagine, has long been my role model. Oh, well, Noddy <laughs> and Big Ears grew up yeah. with those. They, was actually, they, they were resurrected on British children's TV. Sorry, people who are not from Britain won't have a clue who we're talking about, but they were they were much-loved children's characters. And, in fact, if there's one thing to get people going, apart from what's your favourite biscuit and what's your favourite English word, it'll be what's your favourite kids' programme. Well, I've told you, Billy Bunter of Grave School. Oh, there, oh, there was another one, forgive me, there was another school afterwards called St Jim's, mm. uh, and it was a, it was also a comedy. Was this on TV? It was on TV. And oh. the school, no, it was called, the show was called Wacko. Oh. And it starred Jimmy Edwards mm-hmm. as this irascible headmaster. It was called Wacko because all the children were regularly whacked. And the programme, it was a comedy for the family. And it began with Jimmy Edwards flexing his cane. Uh, and the theme music Dear. was done to the rhythm of the cane going slashing down. And he spent the whole of the half-hour show, it was a sitcom, flexing his um, cane in the oh hope of being goodness. able to beat one of the boys. It was intended to be amusing and it was amusing. Oh. And I loved that. Yeah. And of course, Frank Richards had never been to a public school. It was a kind of comic version of it. Mm. And um, St. Jim's was, again, it was a St. Trinian's view of the world. It was lighthearted. It wouldn't survive in the age of political correctness, but it certainly made me chuckle as a child. So those were my two, St. Jim's and Greyfriars. What about you? 
Well, I mentioned Mallory Towers. I think in terms of kids' programmes, I loved Grange Hill. I used to run home to watch Grange Hill. That was brilliant. It was very much the kind of school that I just didn't experience. So it was at one remove from me and therefore considered safe. And I think I might have had my first crush on someone in Grange Hill, but I can't remember who it was. In terms of other TV programmes, I mean, when I was really, really little, there were things called In the Herb Garden. And when I loved the clangers and Rachel Riley, who I work with on Countdown, she is now introducing her daughter her I think how old is Maeve now she's just over six months to the clangers they brought the clangers back which is brilliant do you remember them I do remember them. yeah with the, with the weird noises did you have schoolgirl comics I belong to the eagle generation hmm. and also the dandy the beena the beza I think there was the jackie annual which mm. was quite cool. So that was where you learnt, yeah, that's where I learnt what a French kiss was, for example, was in the jacket annual, because that's no. not something my parents would ever go near. Well, um, good so, grief. No, but it, you need to know these things because, you Do know. You? Yeah. In case, be- case you meet a Frenchman who says, <laughs> well, exactly. I kiss you. Exactly. You, you know what a Swiss kiss is, don't you? A Swiss kiss is a French kiss through which you yodel. <laughs> oh, I would never have got that one. <laughs> Makes a terrible noise and there's a slight aftertaste of El Montal. <laughs> Moving swiftly oh on, God. I didn't realise that's what yeah. Jackie was. Yes. Well, no, it wasn't all about French kisses. They had really important things on there, which were, you know, the things that girls needed to know. It was a really good thing. It was way ahead of its time. And in fact, it was called Jackie because its editor was Jacqueline Wilson, the famous children's author. Goodness, so, now Dame Jacqueline Wilson. Yeah, and she's Sometime amazing. children's laureate. Yes. And Jackie was named after her. Yes. Anyway, we're going slightly off the point here because this is, this is not to do with schools. Shall I no. give you some school terms? Please give us some school terms. Do you, do you remember where pupil comes from? Because it's possibly, it's up there in my etymological greatest hits for sure. Might even well, be number two. It's got to be something to do with the teacher who was cross because the pupils were looking in different directions. I don't know. Um, well, yes, the two senses are related. So no. pupilla in Latin meant little doll. So if you were a little child, you looked like a little doll and hence you might be going to school. That hence the school pupil sense. But the pupil of the eye is related because that pupilla, little doll, inspired the name because when you look into the pupils of somebody else's eyes, you see a tiny doll-like reflection of yourself. I find that really deep for some reason. But I love it. It is deep. It is deep. And that's, in a way... You know, what the early stages of a love affair are all about. You gaze oh, yes, into dilate. one another's eyes and you see, no, but you see a reflection of yourself. Well, that's true. Um, it's all narcissism in the end. But also, is. if you're attracted, your pupils dilate, don't they? So it gives you more of a oh, chance to see yourself reflected. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Did you not? I, I didn't know that. I spent years on first looked, dates trying to, trying to work uh, out whether the person opposite people, me, whether their pupils were dilated or not. So that's the origin of pupil. It's charming. Yes. It is um, absolutely beautiful, isn't it? Um, encyclopedia is quite nice as well because an encyclopedia means uh, an education that is, goes all round. So it's literally an all round, round education because it is encyclical, if you like. It literally goes around you because the circle of arts and science was considered essential to the Greeks for a liberal education. And I have to mention something I'm sure you will remember, Giles, but I always loved the fact that glamour and grammar are siblings, very close relatives in English, because grammar once meant all learning in medieval times. It comes from the Greek for learning. And that that learning, the learning of grammar, included the knowledge of alchemy and the magical dark arts. And eventually the dark arts kind of 
split off and went into Glamour, which was a spin-off from Grammar. And that took all the magic and enchantment and the Grammar kept all the learning. I love that. I love that. And that's, nice what be- your, that's what your book has given us, Word Perfect. It is the glamour of language, oh, the glamour of grammar. The glamour and grammar. Now, look, I think that's enough on schools. I'm okay. saying schools, schools out. I'm ringing the bell. It's the end of, <laughs> end of the school day. We can come back to this subject again because I never, never left school. Uh, but we've got to get in. Please, we have so much correspondence. We mm. have to answer a couple of queries from people. And thank you so much for the letters and emails you do send us and the tweets you send us. We do, our, we do see them all and yes. we do our best to answer as many as we can if we've not burbled too much already. Mither, this is Joe Dodds has been in touch. Dear Susie and Giles, my South African friend Sharon always calls her children's trainers tackies. Okay? Remember... We were talking about that's right, tackies for sunnies and all of that. Yeah, yeah. She also calls traffic lights robots. A word I grew up with in North Wales was mither. Was that mither? Mither. Ah, M I T H E R. Yes. As in, ah, yes. Stop mithering me. Stop, to exactly. beseech children to stop bothering their parents. Do you know where it comes from? Asks Joe Dodds of Sevenoaks. I do. It comes from the Irish, actually, early Irish, and it's modaha, modaha, and that means dark or murky or morose. So if you have a kind of dark mood and are feeling a bit morose, you might well mither a lot. So yes, stop your mithering is quite a common expression in many parts, and it's linked to Mardi. Do you remember Mardi, which I goes do. back to Mard, M-A-R-R-E-D, meaning you're a little bit spoilt and therefore a bit sulky. If you're Mardi, you're a bit sulky and sullen. Well, let's go from Sevenoaks in England all the way to Canberra in Australia. Hi, Susie and Giles. Recently found your podcast. I've been enjoying sharing it with friends and family. Thank you for sharing it. I was wondering if there is currently a word to describe the items children rub between their fingers to soothe themselves when tired, e.g. the tags on clothing or sometimes the cloth itself. Our family has used a word for 45 years, passing through three generations now. The noun for the item which is rubbed is a twickle. And the oh. verb is twickling, is the, the rubbing movement of the twickle between that. fingers and thumb. Is hmm. there an official word for this? Is this a, There's is this not a an thing? official word. I like twickle because it sounds like a child's pronunciation of tickle. And there's also piggle in a dialect, which means to pick at something or keep touching it. And there's a brilliant kids programme in the UK called In the Night Garden, which your grandchildren might well know. Um, and yep. In the Night Garden features a blue, I don't quite know what creature he is, but he is lovely. He's blue and he's soft and he's called Iggle Piggle, which again replicates child's language, but he has a blankie. So I mm. think that's why he's called Iggle Piggle. And there's also thimble from Yorkshire, which means to kind of stroke or touch lightly. So they're very as in, not as in thimble, but thimble. F-I-M. Thimble, yes. So I don't think there's any official name for it, but I like twickle. I think that's really sweet. I think we must work on twickle. Get yeah. that into the language. Well done, Mark Stevens in Canberra. Give us your three special words of the week, Susie Dent. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you some playground language, given that we've been talking about school. And I'd love to return to this because I think it's lovely. So in Cumberland, and this is going back a bit, I'm not sure it's still called this now, but there was a lovely uh, word, poppin' noddles, poppin' noddles. And that was a term for a somersault. And in some parts of Birmingham, the black country now, I think they call them gambols. So those are roly-polies, essentially, poppin' noddles or gambols. Right. And then, you know, I was talking about p- 
Pax, meaning peace, truce. There used to be a warning amongst school kids that somebody was coming and they needed to stop whatever they were talking about. And they'd say, Nix, N-I-X. And we still talk about Nix, meaning meaning nothing. So that one's lasted quite a while. Also, did you ever used to play a game where you would throw a stone into the water and the whole idea was you would never make a splash? Oh, I do remember that game. It's quite difficult to do. Well, that was called Duck's Dive. It's not it's not a great word to remember, but it just made me remember that pastime because I love it. So as well as um, shimmying, what do you call it when you shimmy pebbles across? Skim. Are you skimming the water? Skimming, not shimmying. Um, yes, as well as that, there was the Duck's Dive, which I really liked. So those are my three. They just, just remind me of my childhood, really, although I don't think I ever used to say Nick's. I've got two things to offer you. You offered us those three words. Thank you for them. They're brilliant. I went to see my doctor yesterday and he had a joke to give me, which I rather liked. An invisible man, an invisible man married an invisible woman. The kids were nothing to look at either. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get it? Get it? But the other thing is, and see if you can beat that. I think this is rather good. Um, This is most feared words in the workplace. A survey has been done. And this is what's come top of the poll. Let's have a chat. Oh, yes. I was going to say something like that. Let's have a chat. Let's have a chat. Oh. Isn't that frightening? Whereas the best four words are, it's job in Guinness time, which means it's Friday, we can go off now to the pub. It's job in Guinness. Yeah, that's what builders say. When I was doing my my book on on the language of various professions and and, uh, peoples, job in Guinness time meant job well done, we're off now. Well, look, I look forward to us spilling the tea again in a week's time. (laughs) Uh, We have a new show out every Tuesday, but you can pick it up at any time. We've got 80 past episodes that you can find here, uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts from. Please recommend us to a friend. Uh, Get in touch with us, purple at somethingelse.com. Purple at something else, something without a G. And who's responsible for all this, Susie? Well, it was produced by Lawrence Bassett with help from Steve Ackerman, Ella McLeod, Jay Beale, and actually I haven't seen him today, so I don't know why we should credit him. Where's Gully?